Welcome to the Sounds of the World. We are your hosts, Hillary and Bill. Together, we're going to travel around the world to discover new music, discuss musical topics, and interview fascinating people. Our world is a buffet of music, and it is time to eat. Hey, everybody, this is Bill. And this is Hillary. From Sounds of the World podcast. And we just want to remind you that if you live in the United States, to make sure to get registered to vote. Um, November 3rd is election day. In these states, as September goes into October, September goes into October, uh, registration dates are expiring soon. So make sure that you check your state official rules, get registered to vote, and make sure you go out to vote. Uh, this is a pivotal election for everybody. So make sure that you do this. This is our civic duty. So, so important. You may feel like your voice doesn't matter. It absolutely matters. Let your voice be heard. Get your ass out there and go vote. <laughs> yeah, do it. And after you're done, go get some beer. <laughs> All right, we have a very special guest here today. He began his musical life playing cello, piano, and percussion at a local music school in Malmo, Sweden. He studied musicology at the Lund University before falling into a passionate love affair with music composition. Uh, he was later accepted to the composition department at the Musikhogskolen in Malmo, where he studied from 1998 to 2005, with such great professors as Rolf Mortensen, Hans Gefors, Ken Olofsson, Per uh, Martensen, and Lars Sandberg. During his diploma studies, his main professor was Luca Fran Francesconi. Uh, his music has been performed at festivals for new music, such as the Ung Nordisk Music, Stockholm New Music, and the Sidern Festival in, in Gothenburg, Sweden. In 2006, his work, The Threat of War, was performed twice by the Royal Stockholm Philharmonic Orchestra with Michael Christie at the Baton. He's also received grants from the Swedish Royal Musical Academy, Helg Ax, Anik och Lars Leander, Rosenberg and German's Composition Study Scholarship, and many more. He later received an invitation from the New European Ensemble, to become the first composer in residence of the group. This residency led to three to four new works. And in 2011, his chamber symphony, Bells and Waves, was awarded the most significant chamber work of the year by the Swedish Music Publishers Association. In 2019, he had two performances of his opera, Hilma at the Guggenheim in New York City. It is a great honor to be able to talk with him today. Please welcome Benjamin Stern. Oh, thank you so much, Bill. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks. It's, it's a pleasure. Yeah, uh, nice to nice to meet you all, and also to your listeners, also. <laughs> so, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's it's quite the uh, the the I'm gonna I don't want to say pedigree, but just like uh, the academic background and the success you've had, it's it's amazing. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed myself. It's like uh, when I when I look back, uh, what kind of education I have. I mean, it's like. Uh, I, I don't pay so much attention to that. It feels like, oh my God, wow, what has happened to me for the past 20 years? I mean, <laughs> is that actually it took 30 years to, to be more specific. But <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a long story, but uh, it's like, I mean, I, I, I mean to, to be frank, I've been quite active as a composer for the past, for 20 years, I mean, consecutive years since uh, my studies here uh, at, um, at, at the Academy of Music in Malmo, mostly. For seven, for seven years or so, uh, so it was, it was um, very intense uh, time back then. Also, and also I had a degree also in musicology. Uh, a wow, year before. cool. 
So, but uh, and and so, uh, why disturbing? Yeah, I started to play cello because, uh, and also did, did some piano also and some drums and percussion. I mean, uh, it's basically I I. I trained in percussion just to get to know the, the rhythmic his, uh, context of, of my music. I mean, I'm probably has an, I mean, even, even though I was a good, good drummer, but still I got the thinking uh, inside right. of what was, I mean, the, the concept, I mean, the conceptual concept of, uh, of rhythm came, came to pass. I mean, and also to, to, to decipher uh, rhythmic, uh, complex rhythmic stuff, I mean, in scores, uh, because since I have a, uh, I have this kind of phenomenon called perfect pitch, which which I will talk later on. I mean, uh, and so and uh, <laughs> so and uh, so I started uh, um, the cello also. That was my first instrument. I I, st I started also composition or music theory as first. Uh, I started privately. At the same time, I was uh, I was in high school, and um, I, I was uh, actually going to be a cellist at first, which mm. might sound. Uh, a little bit uh, weird because uh, uh, I, I was actually I was actually quite good on cello, but uh, the thing I wanted to express couldn't be expressed in my fingers. So I felt my strong voice uh, or, my, or my strong asset was actually to compose music. So that's why I started very heavily for many years uh, music theory and also um, subsequently counterpoint and also instrumentation and arranging. Then that was the main thing, and uh, and uh, and. Uh, I drew scores when I was already uh, like, uh, well, actually musical notes when I was seven. I mean, very simple notes. I still have these sheets that were just like shoot boxes of scores, like 600 pages or something. I mean, just to learn the, the basics of how to, how to copy a score, basically. From that point, I wrote something wrong on that page. I felt like, oh my God. It was like, um, oh, the, 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 this must be artists in some way. I wrote uh, some, some wrong pictures, then, uh, then, uh, then eventually became uh, one of my own tunes. All of a sudden, it's like it, it's like if you improvise on the piano on on a, a simple tune. I mean, it could be a nursery rhyme or something. If you place a one note wrong, I feels like, hey, hey, what happens if I if I use these pictures instead? I mean, I mean, uh, uh, let's like take take for take for instance, "Twinkle Little Star." If you mm -hmm. if, if you misplace one of the notes, I mean. It's it automatically turned into different kind of music. I mean, <laughs> different kind of piece, more or less. Yeah, oh, yeah. It, <laughs> I mean, it's like uh, changing the colors, um, more or less. And uh, and uh, and I mentioned perfect pitch. I I, I assume that um, it's quite uh, uncommon, but uh, for me, it's very common because what it means with the concept of perfect pitch is means that uh, uh, once I hear one pitch. Uh, I can hear that. I mean, if, if you sing a note D, for instance, it, that, that's D for me. So uh, I could easily hear, hear when one singer fell out of tune many times because I was brought up uh, with my parents when my father was a conductor and my mother was an opera singer. So because oh, cool. uh, I basically grew up in an opera house. Oh, and, okay. Uh, and especially and uh, when I heard uh, many of these opera shows and musical shows also, I mean, they played uh, Sound of Music, Kiss Me Kate or... La Traviata and, uh, and all these repertoire operas uh, that, that you can ever think of. I mean, it's, some of the singers were uh, not too great, so they sometimes uh, sing out of tune, and I felt sick all the time. <laughs> there must be something wrong with me. I felt like I felt like something problem with my with my stomach. I felt like I felt like I felt like I was going going to puke or something. <laughs> so, and it happened to me several times when I would try to sing in a chorus at high school. 
because yeah. uh, all the soprani will f- f- sing out of tune completely. Yeah, I felt like uh, it's very like, normal I mean, for high school. I mean, like, yeah, I felt like, what the heck is this? Should I do with music, or am I am I totally sick or something? I felt because I felt like. Uh, because uh, especially when we go to transpose um, uh, another song to one key, uh, one high key uh, when it was noted in the score, I mean it, it, it was deaf. Yes, it was complete. <laughs> and I felt like, oh my god, how am I going to survive this? So there must be something wrong with me. So I felt like, should I ever do with music? I could go in social society studies anyway. So I felt like, uh, and, but uh, time went, and, and I uh, entered the university. Uh, I studied musicology for. for some time, actually, for, was actually for one semester. I studied uh, musicology, and then I came uh, to pass uh, with this uh, uh, chapter about uh, expressionism, because uh, we read music history. So uh, I was very interested in expressionism, and, uh, and uh, with Schoenberg and all the collaboration with Kandinsky. Mm. And, uh, mm-hmm. So I felt like, wow, Kandinsky, I heard that before, because my aunt is a uh, is an art teacher. Okay. So we, and uh, she showed me uh, some sketches by Kandinsky at an art exhibition in Verona, Italy. So, uh, and uh, she saw me, I mean, look at these sketches by Kandinsky. This uh, exactly looks like Schoenberg's music. It's like, okay, now, now, now I store that in my archive somewhere. And then five years later, uh, during my studies, uh, this confrontation with both Schoenberg and Kandinsky fell into place. And, and Kandinsky had wrote a book called Concerning the Spiritual in the Arts. And uh, in that book, it says about uh, the Carlos uh, impact on your brain and onto right. your central nervous system. Right. And, and from there, I suddenly discovered that, there was one passage that said that when I heard Wagner's Lohengrin at the Bolshoi Theater, I, I saw everything in yellow color. Oh, wow. All of a sudden, bam, Chazam. I see colors also. I have synesthesia. Okay. <laughs> so I felt like, wow. oh my God, it was a sort of a, an aha thing. It's like, yeah, I have synesthesia. So that, that's what, that was the whole concept, the whole story of, of, of me seeing in colors. What, what synesthesia means is that, I mean, synesthesia is a very vast topic to, to speak yeah. about. It's not just in music, it's also in numbers. Figures, letters, days, t- tastes, smells, whatever. I mean, uh, but if, uh, in my case, it's, it's, it's in terms of pictures. I mean, uh, uh, let's say if you take a note C, that's for me white color. And a note D, that, that's brown color. And then note E is like uh, golden brown or something. And then uh, F is turquoise. And then G is green color. And A is uh, yellow. And then uh, B is uh, beige color. I don't know. I don't know. Is, is it is it correct to say that in America? Uh, I don't know. Uh, yes. Uh, beige color. Yeah, beige color. Yes. 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 Then the other notes like uh, C sharp, D sharp, um, uh, F sharp, G sharp. That, that's uh, that's uh, okay. F sharp is more or less uh, magenta. Okay. Then... <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask if like the sharps and things were like a mixture of the colors next to it. Or if they were like actually legit different colors, so. legit different colors, more or less. Wow. So. And then G sharp is for me red. And then, oh, okay. And then B flat. Okay, <laughs> pay attention. That that is blue color. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. 
I mean, uh, it's, I know it's a contradiction for some, but <laughs> and and E flat that, that is uh, I think it's the purple. I mean, a purple, purple blue, purple blue or wow. something. Yeah. Okay. Because I made I made a chart uh, of, of these colors with this chromatic scale of colors. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and um, and it's the and it's the same kind of color pattern uh, no matter which octave you are at. But the only difference is that if it goes higher in pitch, mm -hmm. the colors become brighter. Oh, and if it's uh, and if it if it goes uh, deeper in the register, then it, the colors become more darker. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very cool. And many pe and many people ask me, what is black color for you? It's complete silence. Oh. Oh. Next, you oh, said yeah. he was white, right? Yeah. Yes, oh, yeah. He was white. Yeah, see the white. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, black, uh, uh, black is complete silence. And then gray color is more or less like if it's a sort of a, how you could say, uh, it could be a sort of a cluster with different or uh, different pictures at once. I mean, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And also. Uh, or if it's like microtones, this is even more interesting. It's like if it becomes a sort of a mandrobolt-like uh, color, it's a, it's a sort of morphing into different, the different kind of colors at once. It becomes a sort of a nausea feeling. I mean, yeah. oh wow, a sort of, uh, probably the sort of traumatic experience with <laughs> 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 intonation. I mean, kind of getting your senses hijacked on, involuntarily, and you're you're just having to react. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. But uh, but uh, yeah, that's uh, I've been tolerant to other kind of intonations since I've heard other types of music from uh, beyond Western music, like for instance, mm -hmm. uh, makam in uh, Arabic music, and also you know raga and uh, and also mm -hmm. Japanese music and Chinese, and also mm -hmm. Indonesian gamelan, for instance, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I've become more tolerant because uh, since we had this uh, in program the. Uh, from the beginning, from that nature, I mean, especially for this gamelan uh, mm -hmm. scales and all the stuff, and and and, they, and because it looks like almost like new age more or less. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so that that's how I made my discovery. So, but I'm still researching on uh, how the will affect me in more or less. It's a sort of an ongoing update more or less <laughs> in my research <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to colors and pictures and, and so forth, and uh, so. But uh, in order to people to understand what kind of colors I see, you have to put into something concrete, for, for instance. I mean, if, uh, in a country context, it could be like a sort of a, an instrument, like a cello or a piano or whatever, or it could be like a tree or, or, a, or for instance, uh, Northern Lights, which uh, this piece uh, that I wrote there uh, during my residency at the New European Ensemble was a piece called Saya, which means in Japanese colors, which is based on... Uh, uh, Northern Lights. Mm -hmm. There was a sort of collaboration between uh, me and a visual artist called Yoko Suyama, a Japanese girl, uh, friend that lives in Berlin that works as a multimedia artist, which was sort of a multimedia project for two soloists and uh, ensembles. It was like a wordless opera, basically. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. So you can find it on YouTube, uh, some excerpts from that performance. I need to check that out. <laughs> yeah, and she has this sort of thing for, there was a sort of interaction project. For, so uh, she had this thing for both Northern Lights and also this sort of uh, origami crickets. Hmm. <laughs> That's cool. Well, yeah, you know, so. uh, Hillary also has synesthesia too. Oh, and hers really? is different just slightly. 
Yeah, when I hear sound, I see textures, so I don't get the color centers, and it's it's all based on timbre. Like a a violin is like a really thin line, and like the higher the pitch is, the thinner it is. The lower the right. pitch is, kind of fattens out a little bit. Okay. Um, a trumpet looks like a flash of light. It's so hard to describe. Like the sun in the sky is kind of like what the brass timbre looks like. Right, and it right. and moves and. Um, but uh, how does it happen? How does it happen when you listen to music or when you're a composer or something? Does it look like uh, more or less like a visual art for yourself? Or, or yeah. How does and it function? I think I was in my like early 20s when I figured it out because I used to just get so overwhelmed with sounds. Um, I was I latched onto your word tolerate. And um, I remember it because I couldn't tolerate loud music. I couldn't tolerate a lot of stimulus. And I, I didn't know why I would just get really nervous. And then I, I learned what synesthesia was. And I went, oh, my God, I have that. Like, and I just, you know, you start going down the wormhole trying to figure it all out. I understand. What Was it a sort of degree of, of density that you were afraid of? They're getting too explosive, extremely loud sounds. Uh, yeah. So, like, like for example, like a club. If I go into a club without earplugs, like, I, I feel it in my chest. Like, I just, I have this complete meltdown. Or I'm like, it's too much. <laughs> I but, understand that. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I wonder does something similar happen to you? Like when you was it overwhelming to hear new kinds of music or loud kind of music or you know because it's I feel like something it's once you know and you start to understand that that's how you can you can start to tolerate it because you're prepared for what's going to come or yeah <laughs> yes uh, I try to remember I've been to, to a few of these concerts where it was a, it was extremely loud especially at clubs and also at yeah. the rock, rock stadiums for instance I mean uh, I mean uh, for me it's a sort of a horrifying experience I had this uh, horrifying experience when I actually played as a musician I, I was playing uh, the gong uh, in a percussion section uh -huh. I didn't have any earplugs on there was uh, this uh, loud place in uh, I think it was uh, we, we played uh, I think it was playing Mother 5 or something. It was this mm -hmm. big clash in the, in the second one. It was like, you're supposed to beat your, <laughs> your town like this, very loud. Yeah. And, then, and you get this sort of, and they get this sort of intense experience. You get this sort of harmonic seasickness or something. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm like, I can relate to that. <laughs> It's, it's yeah. terrifying. I mean, it becomes a sort of a, like, oh my God, this has hit my nerves. So it becomes a sort of, you, you get dizzy and you almost pass yeah. out. I mean, yes. <laughs> yes it's, uh, there was a, a concert in particular. It was um, the composer is Marco Ciciliani, and I believe he's Austrian, but he visited the University of Montana, which was a really amazing experience to get to, you know, meet him and, and experience his music. But his big thing was kind of creating these walls of sounds. And yeah. he gave a concert for us, and he played like all 600 um, covers of the Beatles song yesterday, and at once. And so it was like I felt like I was levitating. I was like, I don't know where I'm at. Like I was so disoriented. About you. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I remember this sort of uh, intense uh, feeling that uh, you can make, uh, especially in an electronic studio, you can put uh, many sound files at a collage at once. I mean, this yeah. I guess you've seen his YouTube videos, but I've made this experiment with Beethoven, all symphonies at once. Oh. <laughs> and it can create a sort of a mayhem for your brain. And it's, like yeah. hard to, it's hard to keep track on where, which symphony to focus on. I mean, it's like, yeah, because yeah. it's sort of a, I mean, it can create a sort of a mess for your brain, more or less. I mean, <laughs> you know, to keep track of which, which, one to, where, which way to go. I mean, it's like chance operation i mean like upgraded i mean you know this john cage concept with chance op op operation yes, operation yes. 
Oh yeah. Because I was I was thinking about uh, I guess you heard about this uh, piece later piece like Europlus, for instance, which mm -hmm. she has a random variant that uh, one opera singer sings one aria for herself, and then uh, then she gets a sort of a, a piano accompaniment, a piano piano rehearsing a, a completely different piece at once, because it creates <laughs> a sort of a major contrast, which is yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a wild concept. I mean. Uh, Charles Ives had this concert with, with the Fourth Symphony, for instance. I mean, yes, having... that, was, that was who I was thinking of. Ives. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I guess you heard about, I, I guess it's a sort of a, uh, you could say almost like uh, soundscape in words, like Murray Schaefer, I guess you heard about this, talking right. about it uh, in electronics theory. I mean, especially this phenomenon with this soundscape, you have this environment. It doesn't even have to be an orchestra, it could be a sort of a, uh, in a park where you hear a lot of uh, birds everywhere or dogs barking or car passing by or mm -hmm. kids playing, gangs <laughs> are fighting or whatever. I mean, there's a party going on. <laughs> I mean, it, just, I mean it, it creates a sort of a special mood. I mean, sort of a, yeah. a mood of sound. I mean, it's just sort of a, like, it, it feels like you're looking at everything that's split screen at once. <laughs> yeah. When I think of synesthesia and I think of the type that you have with color, I'm like, I don't know if I could handle that, but because I'm like, just color would seem so overwhelming. Um, I was thinking of the comment you said where you felt sick in choir. Yeah. Um, was it just seeing like too many things at once that just kind of was freaking your body out or um, kind of? Yeah, because uh, it, it, it was almost like a psychotic feeling because uh, you have to remain calm at, uh, at mm -hmm. once and plus. Being receptive for what, for what happens uh, during during the rehearsal with the choir members. I mean, uh, especially reading the score at once. I mean, you feel like uh, yeah, you feel like sort of disoriented. With, uh, <laughs> yes. Since you have this sort of um, extreme uh, input of uh, impressions. I mean, uh, I think it's like you could say the equivalent of watching a, a computer game in these days. I mean, there's this three D and all this stuff. Yeah, I can't play these games because it gets too overwhelmed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I'm not used to that kind of environment. Probably my nephews can can do that, but <laughs> <laughs> my boyfriend loves to play, and he always like holds the controller toward me, like you, your turn. And I go, I all I can do is Mario, where it's like one screen, <laughs> die, like there's minimal distractions. <laughs> but yeah, sure. play some of those things where I mean, it's like he's spinning around and he can focus on it, and I'm like, okay, the the motion. So the other part of the other synesthesia that I have is. The opposite so when i see motion i hear sound that goes with it so kind of the idea of like muting a television but the sound doesn't go off and it's these and i, I don't quite know how to describe it because they're not these grand gestures it's just kind of like these little blips and just little tiny like doo -doo 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 -doo, like things that'll go on in my head but so it's like when I watch him play the video games, I'm like, I, I feel sick to my stomach. I can't believe you're spinning around so much. No, no, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but uh, happening. but uh, how is your, if I may ask, your morning routine before you start working? I mean, do you have music in the morning or is it completely silent? Because I cannot have music in the morning because uh, the only song I can focus on is the news, more or less. I, so when I was younger, I, I used to commute. I had this 40-minute commute to work. And I like loved music. Like it was something like I would put it on and drive and it just became this like experience. And mm -hmm. the older I get, I like, I turn on my NPR and I get my talk radio. <laughs> and I'm like, sure, just want sure. some minimal things. But I think for me, I can actually make it work, but it's because I'm just looking at textures and they're not quite 
I feel like colors would be a lot harder to to work with because oh, for sure. yeah I feel like you definitely have a more overwhelming <laughs> version because mm, sure, sure. I can tune mine out and just and I get kind of used to it I actually love a little bit of noise in the background because when it's silent I'm like I'm used to having all these like textures in my vision and like hearing these little gestures so when it's like deaf silent I'm like I start going stir crazy <laughs> yeah yeah for sure I mean, if I do some fair copies of my scores, then I can have some voice uh, in the background. It's no problem for me. But when I write music, I must have, a, have it completely silent. Otherwise, I get uh, confused. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you're, you're working on shaping your craft. And if you've got something brown that's interrupting your whole vision, and you're like, no, I'm in purple right now. <laughs> no, for sure. This isn't going to uh, work. <laughs> no, I mean, so, I, I, can't re- I mean, I can't really tell when I work. I mean, it's like uh, when I'm into something, I'm, I become so immersed in my work. I get, too, I get so involved so that uh, I cannot really speak. I become sort of a different person. Right? Yeah. Not, right. not like a demon, but I become sort of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in a different kind of state more or less. <laughs> so when you write do you see like can you do chords create a different color scheme for you or do you see like feel like you're really kind of painting rather than just writing compositions see well uh, it depends on, on the context I mean it's usually uh, when I hear something I, I see if I hear if I hear one melody for instance a melody line I see each and every color of uh, one by one, more or less. And if, I, and if I have chords, it becomes a sort of like a stream, almost like a, you could say like a fade lines. It depends, it depends on the texture but what, and what kind of instruments also. You mentioned that your violin is very, like a thin red line or something, more or less. Mm-hmm. Or like a thin line. If it's like brass, it becomes more thicker. I mean, mm-hmm. um, if it's percussion, it becomes like, I mean, so, so, it's a, so yes, it more or less looks like uh, visual art, like, uh, almost like, uh, yeah. like a Jackson Pollock <laughs> painting, more or less. It depends on what kind of model. It could be like a Rothko painting, which I really adore a lot. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And Paul Klee also. Uh, because I usually get the uh, impulses from uh, visual art many times, especially with this, uh, uh, with uh, Hilma recently. I mean, uh, she's, she's done a hell of a lot of paintings. I mean, uh, it's like more or less more than a thousand paintings uh, she produced during wow. her life. Wow. And she lived in obscurity, more or less. Because uh, yeah. one, she was woman. She was a woman. Two, she was not allowed to show it to the public. She, she, she was 50 years before, ahead of her time. Wow. I mean, her paintings look uh, is equivalent to Kandinsky Malevich, Mondrian, and also uh, I said uh, the one other painting earlier. Yeah, Paul Klee. Yes, and uh, and she was she was advised to not not show it, you show it to anyone. I mean, so twenty years after her death, uh, it was first publicly shown, and now she has gained a renaissance, more or less, in the later years. So it's, it's quite, quite an interesting uh, 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 progress uh, of of her of her interest in her art. More or less. I mean. Because there have been many exhibitions, both in in the U.S. in New York, and also in Sao Paulo in Brazil, and also all around Europe and on Stockholm and Arab, all kinds of places. But that's a, that's a side story, more or less. But uh, uh, but uh, so uh, but, but basically, because uh, when I wrote uh, 
Hilma, I saw this altar image in front of me. This looks almost like, you know, this uh, God's eye that is uh, shown in churches. I mean, you know, this, mm -hmm. with this pyramid mm -hmm. with an eye on top. Yes. Because there is a picture that looks like an altar standing point uh, for uh, creating the form of the entire opera. It's a okay. symmetric form. So it's like, uh, um, since it was uh, since, uh, almost like a chiastic uh, shape of it. Mm -hmm. Which cool. is, <laughs> yeah. So, since it has, a, it has a beginning and then it has an end, more or less. But it doesn't go chronologically well um, uh, in the story. So, so, it's very, it's in different directions at once. <laughs> it's not like it's not like Snow Queen, where it says, uh, which is more or less like an A to B story, more or less. Mm -hmm. Right. But, or A to Z. <laughs> but it has different contrasts in a different, completed way. But it's, it seems it's a fairy tale. But, uh, Hilemus is more or less like a uh, thing between opera and oratorio. Okay. It has this sort of almost like a religious move to it. I mean, it's like, because I felt like it, it is almost like oratorio, like, for instance, you know, Bach's uh, motets and also these cantatas he did. But since he has this sort of um, simple uh, rhythmic, I mean, uh, sort of more like plain speech. <laughs> mm -hmm. Nice. And some gestures also were, I mean, like reacting to to an opera recitativo. In an opera, and then you have an aria, even if it's not to aria in the way what you usually uh, used to hear. <laughs> so that's how, how I did the opera. I mean, because I basically follow the text. So since the text is the most important. You're quite accomplished as an opera and vocal composer, but uh, oh, let's yes. definitely, definitely talk about your orchestral things. Um, I mean, the first time I ever met any of your music was Godai. Yes. The concerto, right? Um, exactly, exactly. And then you also did another piece called Polar Vortex. This is my first symphony. Polar Vortex. I think that's such a beautiful piece. And... Yeah. It was actually, uh, the music is actually comes from a result from this uh, major work, which I did the, uh, the year before, the years before that, there was uh, this uh, wordless opera called Saya. And uh, some of that music was uh, sort of, uh, I 
incorporated some of the best parts in the uh, in, in the style of production into, into the symphony. Came up with this solution. Why don't I why don't I recycle the music? So I came up with this method called composting music. <laughs> How eco-friendly of you! <laughs> exactly. So, so basically, I compose music, yes, but also recycle, compost music, compost pieces. <laughs> I'm gonna steal this. <laughs> you have my blessing. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I just admitted I would take it. No. <laughs> so, I so I expected um, that music uh, um, from that performance. But I also, uh, eventually, I had to create something completely uh, new out of it uh, from this material. So I felt like, what are I going to, uh, what am I going to do? So then uh, it came, the, the news came, because I usually get affected by what goes on in the world. I mean, so like, more or less, my music has been uh, sort of uh, symbolized. Uh, it hasn't been written in the media, but uh, talked about, but more or less, my friends, like, yeah, you write doomsday music, more or less. <laughs> Okay. I love so, it. What does that mean? Is it like Armageddon or something? Have I read the last, uh, and, uh, I mean, the last chapter of the Bible? I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> but no, it's actually, um, yeah. It has a small backstory. When I was 10, I saw, I was really overexposed to MTV when I was a kid. So uh, it was the last year we, uh, we had cable TV. And uh, all of a sudden, MTV was there. I mean, uh, you saw this uh, environmental videos because sometimes we have the sort of political uh, videos about the environment. Mm -hmm. and they told that uh, if you if you don't uh, take care of the nature, the we'll, world will come to an end all of a sudden, and mm -hmm. it will create a problem. And I and I and I became frightened like hell. I was like, oh my god, is this is it? I mean, <laughs> is it going to be a nu nuclear disaster? Is it going to be a climate change, or is it is it? it is the is world going on fire or is it a, or are we going to be submerged in water? I mean, I, I was terrified. So this sort of feelings has uh, put a profound uh, feeling to my other works. For instance, uh, that's why uh, I heard about this news about uh, polar vortices that, is, that appears in the, in the northern parts of the uh, United States and Canada, and which the temperature drops uh, at least uh, 100 uh, uh, 100 degrees Fahrenheit minus. I think I've lived through a couple of these polar vortexes. Yeah, same here. <laughs> really, yeah. Really, really that cold. I mean, so you kind of breathe almost. Yeah, so there, there was one that happened. It was right when I got back from my master's in England. So I was like enjoying the mild winter of England. And then I came home and I was like, yep, back to Montana. Um, but we had a particular snap where it was like minus 37 Fahrenheit. And I went to go start my car and my car only reads to minus 22 so it wasn't telling me how old it was and my car shook violently and I was like I had never like I was like I broke it I don't know what I did like all I did was turn the key and it just was like sputtered to life and I was like oh my god but you have to you have to cover your your mouth because you can damage your lungs they have this problem more so in North Dakota next door to Montana where you can you get some severe lung damage if you don't cover up as you're breathing in. Um, wild. Luckily, that doesn't happen every winter in Montana. Oh, yeah. North Dakota, I think it does. But. Oh, <laughs> yeah. but it's hard. I mean, you're just kind of like, 
Okay, I hope I don't get stuck. I hope I have enough gas in my car. I've got to have all my layers of clothing with me. And Yeah, I, I was up in the northern part of Sweden and while I was doing a recording session of my guitar concerto, uh, Our Spire Lights in PTO, which is uh, really far north. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, it was like, uh, let's say, 160 centimeters of snow. It was like, oh. <laughs> it's like oh. almost five feet of snow. Yeah. I was like, okay, wow. Yeah, Jesus. that's way worse than what I've got. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's mad. You cannot barely open uh, open the door there practically. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But but the thing is that the uh, the the chill is not that uh, chillier. It's more or less like dry chill, more or less. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, it's more tolerable. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But uh, here in Malmo, where I live, if it becomes snow, I mean, we have this uh, very humid climate. So if it's really cold, it gets cold, even cooler mm-hmm. than the temperature itself. It becomes like if it's like you know, let's say. Yeah, uh, let's say about uh, zero Fahrenheit. It, it feels like twenty Fahrenheit yeah. <laughs> minus. I've, um, yeah, when I was in England, I actually I say mild winter, but I froze like right as at freezing, like zero Celsius, thirty-two Fahrenheit. I had never felt so cold because I didn't bring my Montana coats because I was like, oh, it's gonna be thirty-two, it's gonna be fine, and then I was like, I forgot to count for humidity. <laughs> oh, I was freezing. Oh yeah, Gosh. same with me. Like, Gosh. grew up in Idaho, I'd wear shorts in the snow and stuff, and then... I'll, I'll start uh, my career when it's 10 and a t-shirt. I'll just Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm in Baton Rouge, and it's, you know, 33, but oh. it's humid, and so I was like, oh, let's go straight to my bones. And... Oh, so cool. uh, I can imagine <laughs> But anyway, so uh, I was uh, sort of... Because uh, uh, I heard about that, uh, that, uh, that polar vortex in Newsweek, so I read about that oh, yeah. article, article, and then I... But like, I have something here. So I, because I saw this yeah. image with colors. And that's sort of temperature, you know, the, 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 the rumor forecast makes a sort of a grading of what kind of colors you see, or how hot or cold it is. I mean, so that, that triggered my imagination. Yeah. So, so that's fine. fine. Then I'll make a piece on it. <laughs> yeah. So, so I have this, uh, yeah. So I have three moments in that piece. It's called, uh, the first moment is called Frozen City. And then the second one is called Northern Lights. And then the uh, third moment is called Volcanic Eruption. without a break since uh, I, I usually am not a big fan of uh, movements that has breaks okay I have a few exceptions with my climate channel which I had breaks but uh, but usually because I wanted to follow the, the, the kind of tradition that Mendelssohn had I mean uh, mm-hmm. he had sort of um, um, uh, let's say a leading note to, to the next uh, to the next movement for instance in his, in his violin concerto mm-hmm. right which is based upon this idea you know that in, in the last uh, bars of a, of a of the first of the first movie like da 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 
that was that kind of thing I, I, that kind of idea I wanted to use in that in that symphony. So in my other words, also I've I done that several times in, in Snow Queen, for instance. I mean, <laughs> who I, I mean, I'm not the first composer who had done it. I'm probably not the last ever, but, <laughs> but 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 it's a very effective uh, technique to do that. I mean, unless uh, okay, the, the the only chance is to tell the audience now it's the second one. <laughs> right, right. That's a difficult ballgame. That's why I made this video with uh, to be more. Pedagogical so that I can see that it's easily find this is the first uh, movement with this house. Uh, it's actually outside my apartment, but <laughs> in the first image you see on that video. And then, okay, uh, and then the second uh, movement is based on organized, which I actually took it's actually a movement that I took pictures, pictures on when I was on in Iceland. Oh, that's oh so cool. very cool because I was taking a boat ride on the ice on the Reykjavik Bay actually. And uh, it was cold, freezing to, to death almost. <laughs> and uh, I was freaking in the middle of the night. And uh, I met this, actually, an American guy from, I think it was from uh, Colorado. And okay. I think it was a business guy. So I was like, hey, why don't you come down to, to me after this year? I was like, okay, are you joking with me? <laughs> it does he have drugs or something? So, okay, uh, <laughs> okay, okay, what the heck? I, I, I just followed him. Okay, I went down down to the after fishing, as he said, and then a few minutes later, the Nova Dives appeared, the dance. I was like, take pictures. <laughs> I take up the phone, yes, yes. So I was uh, taking the pictures like a maniac. I was like, <laughs> I was so incredible. I was like, <laughs> Wow. That was the sort of a normal shit I was doing that night. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was doing a, it was out of it was during a festival called Nordic Music Days, and I had a, some I had a night off, so I went on a boat trip. So, <laughs> so it was cool. nice. Yeah, so very cool. And then I imagined that what happens uh, if um, if we have this sort of climate changes? So the answer to this symphony was the climate change. What happens if? Uh, if a volcano starts to explode in the middle of the oh, city okay. and the, the ice melts, then we have flooding all of a sudden. Mm, so okay. then it becomes a very dangerous experience to live in. I mean, it becomes a sort of a, almost like we see a disaster movie. superficially inspired by it but uh, you can imagine it's almost like a like a movie soundtrack bonus I mean okay <laughs> I confess <laughs> I write soundtracks but, <laughs> uh, but, but uh, 
But they but, stand alone. Yeah. It's a beautiful work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, Hollywood hasn't called me yet. But <laughs> God knows. You can stay composer right here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it might not, will sell. Exactly, yeah. But film and theater is not too far away, I think. So. <laughs> Well, especially when when you're you're already kind of composing a visual medium, as you think of, um, especially drama and, and comedy. Also, I, I want to write uh, uh, pieces that are more or less like black comedy, more or less. We got sort of uh, you say it's satirized by colors in you know, from impressions. I mean, with sounds. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, uh, we we talked about uh, actually Bill talked about my piece, uh, my culture of orchestra called Godai. This is what was an attempt to balance all, all of these impressions with colors at once <laughs> through, through a subject called Gudai, which is used in uh, martial arts. I mean, it, it's a sort okay. of a, it, which has, uh, uh, you know, this concept of four elements, but it has five elements earth, water, fire, let's see, air, wind, right? air, air, yeah. air, wind, yes. And the fifth one, you know what it is? Shadow. Ooh. Exactly, exactly. So whether, uh, well, what kind of uh, element you're standing on, I mean, uh, it, it, it is still the same, uh, same, same priorities, more or less, but it's a different character uh, with, with each, each and every element, which yeah. is kind of interesting phenomenon, because I didn't know this. I mean, it means like, almost like you're, you're balancing your core, more or less. Mm. I mean, uh, if you see these people with martial arts like jiu-jitsu or or karate, or whatever, or, or, or conducting, for, for instance, it's, you know, it's, it's, so they almost look like, uh, <laughs> like Bruce Lee, all of them. <laughs> take, for instance, Elsa Pekka Salomon, which has been a lot in the U.S., because <laughs> uh, he has his own, like a martial arts <laughs> kind of uh, pose, more or less. <laughs> so, uh, so, so I made a journey of, the, of that piece. So it's, a, it's just made basically a showpiece for orchestra. I mean, so it's like a concert for orchestra with tutti and solo parts in it. So, so it's basically a very, because I wanted to write a piece that was uh, based on dancing. I mean, with ballet. Hmm. So, okay. God knows, I, I, would have, uh, I would love it if there would be a ballet, ballet production on that one. I mean, or a modern dance group could do it. I mean, but, it, but it requires a large orchestra, a fairly large orchestra. I mean, mm -hmm. With triple winds, I mean, uh, standard four horns, three trumpets, three trombones, tuba, and then the timpani, and then a, 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 a huge percussion section. Yeah, there's a shitload of percussion in this. I bring so. my earplugs for this one. No, I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> you've got marimbas and you've got all sorts of uh, like membranic instruments, and I mean, it's just, it's crazy. It's Bounce. gorgeous. Yeah, and also I have a temple bowls like Dubachi. Ooh. Oh, okay. Which is uh, not tuned in this uh, <laughs> in this uh, context, but I, I have, I've heard the budget that is completely in tune. Also, I mean, uh, wow. I have the vacant the uh, ring for a very long time because I have this heard this sort of major uh, ring which uh, we can uh, last until like thirty seconds on a duration. Wow. I mean, if you hear it like dong, I mean, if you can, if you can. Yeah, you get this sort of, sort of trance uh, all of a sudden. <laughs> Definitely. I is staring. Yes, so I mean, if because I, I had this uh, a, a workshop with my friend who is a percussionist. I mean, we, we tested it in a workshop where they had all the percussion instruments in the percussion room. It was like, 
wow, that's uh, I love that. Let's uh, <laughs> I make a recording of it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's like uh, if you uh, if you get lost in ideas. I mean, uh, if you're empty in ideas. I mean, uh, the best way to do it is to collect ideas which you don't normally uh, would find if you if if you were unaware of it. I mean, uh, if if you yeah. were too aware, then uh, then it would it would happen. And so this is a sort of a like a blind date, more or less. Thank you so much, and uh, thank you, thank you so much. Right. Look, have love a great night. Okay. Thank you. Have a great night. Bye. Good night. Good night. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Sounds of the World podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll have links to everything in our description. So please follow those links and give them likes and subscriptions. Uh, like we like to say, the world is a buffet of music and it's time to eat. So go eat and enjoy and discover. And on that note, I'm going to go have a bite and maybe a beer. Hey, there you go. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>